can be found in Matthew 5, 27 through 30. You'll remember we've been going through the Sermon on the Mount and the uh, sermon series that I entitled Kingdom Life in a Fallen World. How do we live this kingdom life on the world in which we live today? And we're going to tackle the challenging issue of lust today. So hang on. <laughs> this is Matthew 5, 27 through 30. You have heard that it was said you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body go into hell. The word of the Lord. When Aaron Ralston woke up in Utah to go mountaineering, he had no idea of the events that were going to befall him that day. He was going into Canyonlands alone to test some of his mountaineering skills. And as Ralston was going into a ravine, stepping on a series of boulders, one of them came loose. Ralston slid two stories down to the bottom of the ravine with a boulder coming down, crashing on his arm, pinning him to the ravine. It was then that Ralston realized that nobody knew where he was and he was in big trouble because he could not extricate himself from this boulder. For five days, Ralston worked on trying to free himself, becoming weaker and weaker, more dehydrated. And it was then that Ralston realized that he had to make a life or death decision. And so performing surgery on himself, he literally cut off his arm to free himself from the boulder. And dazed and dehydrated, he managed to get out of the ravine and be saved. Some of you saw the story of this in the movie, 127 Hours, in which Aaron Ralston was played by, uh, uh, what's his name, Franco, James Franco. What strikes me about that movie, and strikes me about this passage, is essentially Jesus is saying the same thing. If your right hand causes you to sin, tear it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body be thrown into hell. See, Jesus is saying that lust is the exact same thing as that boulder pinning Aaron Ralston. That extricating oneself, being free of it, is a matter of extreme urgency and therefore requires an extreme response. And as I read this text, I have to ask the question, why? Because as I look at Jesus' teaching, and I look at the world's teaching, I see that they are exact opposites of each other. They could not be on further ends of the spectrum. We live in a culture that is saturated with sexuality. All you have to do is walk down the grocery aisle to look at the fashion magazine that shows you how to have seven sexy hairdos. Or Cosmopolitan with its so-called expert advice. Or we can go to the TV and see Desperate Housewives, or GCB, or The Bachelorette. Or, of course, we can go to the internet. Researchers say that 30% of all traffic on the internet is pornographic. 
Madison Avenue and Hollywood have learned one thing, and their formula is simple. Sex sells. And so in our culture, lust is not condemned. It's not even condoned. It's promoted. And so we have to ask the question, who is right? Critics would say that Jesus is a prude with outdated morals from a Victorian era that are no longer applicable. But we have our doubts. Liel and my wife is a licensed professional counselor and I'm a pastor. And we have seen countless cases of people whose lives have been utterly destroyed by sexual problems. Perhaps you have experienced them yourself. Unfaithfulness either perpetrated by you or perpetrated upon you. Your senses desensitized by the constant barrage of messages until something that was supposed to be beautiful has become a commodity. See, Jesus' message in here is ultimately that lust is not about sex. Lust is not about sex. Lust is about worship. And when we worship people that don't deserve our hearts, it will destroy us. But if we worship God alone, we will find healing and wholeness. Well, we need to unpack Jesus' message here. So we're going to look at three things. The first is, what is lust? Why is God so serious about this topic? And then we're going to look at the second point. What's behind lust? What are the motivations that lead us to lust? And then we're going to finish with our third point. How are we to deal with this thing we call lust? So our first point, what is lust and why is God so serious about it? Jesus said, you have heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her. In this passage, Jesus is commenting on the teaching of the Pharisees. If you remember, the Pharisees and the scribes were the religious leaders that helped to explain the law to the people. And the Pharisees had basically summed up the issue of sexual sin with the Sixth Commandment. The formula, you shall not commit adultery. For them, it was quite simple. If you did not commit adultery, the act of adultery, you were righteous. But if you did, you were not. But you see, they had, they had watered down the teaching and diluted it. In fact, they had neglected the commandment that was just four commandments later, the Tenth Commandment, that says, and you shall not covet your neighbor's wife, and you shall not desire your neighbor's house his field, or his male servant, etc., etc., etc. This word covet, epithumeo in the Greek, in the Old Testament, epithumeo is the exact same word as the one that Jesus is using in the New Testament. You could have easily just as much have translated, and you shall not lust after your neighbor's husband, and you shall not lust after his house, etc., etc. See, lust and adultery ultimately is an issue of the heart, that we're not satisfied with what we have. I mean, how can one have adultery in action before they have adultery in the heart before the action? So we must understand what adultery is, because adultery at its core has nothing to do with sex. Adultery has to do with faithfulness. In the Old Testament, the word adultery is used hundreds of times. And very rarely is it actually used with sex. It's used with the concept of faithfulness. 
See, God, the story of the Bible is the story of God calling a people to himself. Physical Israel in the Old Testament, spiritual Israel in the New Testament, the church. And essentially marrying them, saying, I will be your God. I will be a husband to you and you will be as a wife to you, to me. I will care for you. I will watch over you. I will protect you. I love this beautiful passage in Hosea that we read that spells it out as clear as possible. For an illustration, it would literally be like God saying, I'm going to bind you to myself. I'm going to take glue and I'm going to put me and I'm going to put you and I'm going to put us together forever. But unfortunately, in the picture of the Old Testament, we see those who would not be faithful to God. The people ran away to worship other gods. They were unfaithful, and so God drove them away. In the prophets, we see God continually wooing the people, calling them back. In Ezekiel, God says, the nations where they have been carried captive, those who escape will remember me, how I have been grieved by their adulterous hearts, which have turned away from me, and by their eyes, which have lusted after their idols. They will loathe themselves for the evil that they have done and for all their detestable practices. In Jeremiah, God says, because Israel's immorality mattered so little to her, she defiled the land and committed adultery with stone and wood. See, the issue of man's heart has been that God is not enough, that we need something else. So we construct these idols of wood and of stone. But the heart of adultery is not sense. It's worship. Who will I give my heart to? See, sex is beautiful. Sex is a gift from God. You think we figured this one out? No, it's a gift, something that God has given us. But it's designed for one context. Faithfulness. A man and a woman coming together, just like God and his people, taking glue, connecting them together, and they will become one flesh. In fact, marriage is a gift from God, helping us to understand what our relationship with God is supposed to be. But it's subordinate to the bond with God. How do I know that? Because one, marriage is not forever. We will not be married in heaven. And some people are not married currently, and it may not be God's will for them to be married. But God says, I will meet all your needs. I will draw you to myself, and I will care for you. But adultery breaks the bond. It literally says, I don't want you. You're not enough. And so when we look at lust, we realize that all of the same issues in adultery are present in lust. All lust is is adultery internalized. In fact, in some ways, adultery, uh, lust is worse than adultery because at least adultery, twisted as it is, is consensual. But lust has no regard for the other person. It reduces them to an object. It takes intimacy from them without permission. It manufactures it. Lust is twisted love. Love with no strings attached, which is not love at all. It's taking what is not yours and uniting yourself to them in your mind. I think that's why Jesus says this illustration, to cut off your hand and throw it away. Because in a way, lust is theft. Lust is worship gone wrong. I had the opportunity recently to marry Alex and Marissa Kassir, who are in our congregation today. And 
Many of us have been to a wedding, and you remember that beautiful picture where the doors open and the bride comes in, often with the father who's leading her down the aisle because the father is going to give her away. And as I was the pastor, I asked the question, who gives this woman to be married? And the father says, uh, myself and my wife. And he gives the hand, but you know who he gave Marissa's hand to? Not to Alex, he gave it to me as the pastor to symbolize that Marissa belongs to God. That he had been given to her mother, she had been given to her mother and father to care for her and watch over. But ultimately she belongs to God. And so I took Marissa's hand and I put it in Alex's for them to be bound together. You see, I don't marry the couple. I'll never say I married Alex and Marissa. It's God who marries the couple. I simply perform the ceremony. Now we may ask the question, why couldn't Alex, why didn't Alex just bring uh, Marissa home before the wedding? Because it would be stealing. She doesn't, didn't belong to him. Lust is an act of stealing, taking and putting above God. See, lust at its core is not sexual, it's spiritual. It's no different than building an idol, bowing down and worshiping it. In the old days, we used to make idols out of wood and stone and metal. But now we make them out of silicon and Botox and collagen. The temples that we build are not made of stone, but they're made of bits and bytes. HBO, Netflix, and the World Wide Web. But in the end, it's just the same thing. Leaving God and worshiping something else. Lust at its core is idolatry. Worship gone wrong. Maybe you have felt that pull yourself to worship someone in your own life. There's this woman at work and she's pretty and she's nice. And over time, my eyes and thoughts began to wander. And I'm pulled to her and I objectify her. I give her supernatural qualities. And I think in my mind that if she was mine, all of my troubles would go away. Which is, of course, ridiculous. But in a fantasy world, you can think such things. Because an image never complains, never argues, never burns your dinner, never wakes up cranky. She can be whoever you want her to be. But at its core, what it really is about is that, God, you are not enough. What you have given me is not enough. Now, you may say to me, Pastor, well, wait a second, you're just... You're laying it on a little bit thick here. I mean, it's just a glance. Nobody's been hurt. But the truth of the matter is, everybody's been hurt. Because when two things are joined together in two people and you try to pull them apart, there's going to be pain and there's going to be suffering. And so when we lust, we tear that relationship, not only with our spouse, but we tear it with God. All other sins a man commits are outside of his body, but he who sins sexually sins against his own mother. When we worship people that don't deserve our hearts, it will destroy us. But if we worship God alone, we will find healing and wholeness. Now that we have a better sense of what lust is, I want to talk about what's behind lust. What are these motivations that cause us to chase after these other idols? This is my second point. Matthew 5, 29 again says, If your right 
eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it's better for you to lose it than to be thrown into hell. The same thing with your right hand. Now when you think about it, this is very strange advice. Because if you cut off one hand, you still have another. And if you pull out your right eye, you still have your left eye. What is Jesus trying to say? Ultimately, what he's trying to say is you don't need eye surgery, and you don't need hand surgery. What you need is heart surgery. We have to fix the heart, because lust at its core is spiritual. The reality behind lust is this simple fact, that we are empty. We're desperately searching for love and significance somewhere, anywhere. And so this picture of this sexualized society is a horrible mix between men and women. Women, for the most part, are asking this question. Where can I be loved? Where can I be noticed? Where can I be cherished? Am I beautiful? Am I wanted? It's an interesting phenomenon going on right now that sociologists are watching. On YouTube, girls, young girls, are putting up videos of themselves with a placard that simply says the question, am I beautiful? And are inviting people to comment. And you can only imagine the responses that come from our sexualized society. But their desire, their hunger to be cherished and noticed is so strong that they're willing to go to such lengths. But our society says to women that if you want to be wanted, you have to advertise. So it's not enough to dress attractively. You now have to dress seductively. And you have to be prepared to push the moral boundaries all the way to the limits. All the way to the limits. You don't have to be pretty. You have to be sexy. When you think about it in the pornography industry, every single one of those girls was once an eight-year-old who had pigtails and played with Barbies. But they decided to take this route because their desire was so strong that their will to be loved was so strong that they were willing to accept a cheap imitation of it, even if it is lust. For men, we ask the question, do I have what it takes? Am I sufficient? Am I adequate? Am I man enough? And society tells us that it's the woman who can answer these questions. It's the woman that can validate us. And so our music, our pictures, our movies are all about this, finding the right woman and worshiping her. You know, some of the songs we, we sing up here, I could take some of the songs on the radio today and just change a couple words and we could just sing them during church. Because they're the exact same thing. And so men go to the woman as the one who will validate me. But when we can't find them, we make them. Because in our mind, she never condemns us. She always makes us feel like we are the man, the hero, and the king. And so men and women feed off each other destructively. But the problem is not ultimately the man or the woman, but the fact that idols enslave us. So how do we fix this problem? What we have to understand is that the feelings that we have are right, but the object is wrong. The desires that we have in our deepest heart are not bad. The desires to be cherished, 
the desires to have significance. But we must place them in their proper place to have them fulfilled. And so when we lust, we must not look to the woman. We must look through the woman. We must not look to the man. We must look through the man. When we see the woman, we must realize that we do not crave her. She's simply an object. What we crave is the one who says you are worthy. You are enough. In me you are glorious. You are the son of a king. The woman must look through the man to the message behind him that you are beautiful. You are worthy of my love. You are a princess worthy of being cherished in honor. Where can we find such a message? It's Jesus who is the one that we're looking for. If lust is worship gone wrong, then Jesus is worship gone right. For he demonstrates in his words and his life that he is what we are looking for. Jesus' message to men says, you are made in my image, worthy of me giving up my life on a cross to restore you to glory. You are powerful and mighty in me. You no longer have to live in shame for your failure and inadequacies because you can do all things through me who give you strength. Because my Father is your Father, and I will teach you and show you what it takes. And to the woman, Jesus says, you are beautiful. So beautiful that I gave my son Jesus to ransom you, to rescue you, to bring you to myself and to protect you from evil. And I will make you beautiful and cherish you. And bring you to my side. For you are the daughter of the king. See Jesus is the one. That we're looking for. Our desires are not too strong. They're too weak. And we're content to settle. For the imitation. An image on a website. A story in a book. Rather than giving our hearts. To the one who is worthy. Of all of our worship. Christine Moran known as Chrissy, is a former porn star who came to Christ after six years in the industry. She recently did an interview with Mark Driscoll, who's the pastor of Mars Hill Church, and she told her story. I came from a broken home and was abused when I was four years old for the first time. I had my first abortion at age 17. My life circumstances led to bad choices, which later prepared me for the industry. My deepest longing in life was to be needed, like I belonged to someone, and to be loved. When those needs weren't met, I just kept searching. I was a relationship addict, sometimes even overlapping relationships. After a breakup, I put some of my photos on a modeling website and was finally getting some validation. People were telling me I was beautiful, and that was enough love to walk me right into the industry. I then became the fantasy girl that I always despised. During this time, I put myself in many dangerous situations, and I won't lie, there was a part of me that wanted to end up dead. There was also a part of me that thought maybe actually someone would love me enough to rescue me. I was still having meaningless relationships. Each man who entered into my life would just lift me up to break me down. But then I met someone who led me back to God. He told me that God loved me.
and he desired a relationship I knew that God was at that moment speaking to me with only breath. Changing was hard. I think that if it hadn't been for the conviction in my heart, I may still be there. I'm thankful that Christ is in my story and intervened in my life because in Him I can live again. And that's why I'm writing this to you. My hope is that my story will give you hope. For Jesus says, God says in Jeremiah, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. That's what God has done for me. That's what I'll do for you. See, the gospel is the story of God who came to rescue us. Not to exploit us, not to denigrate us, but to ransom us and restore us to the Lord. Where do you go when you're empty, when you're lonely, when you're tired? Maybe you retreat to the World Wide Web to have your heart filled by worshiping fake idols that only take and don't give. Where do you go when you're feeling ugly and undesirable? Maybe you go into a novel to build an image of the perfect man who can meet all of your needs. But they can't eliminate our desires. And so we must put them in the right place. So when you go there and you realize that you're there, stop. Don't look to the lust. Look through the lust. Transfer your brokenness to God. Transfer your desperation, your emptiness, and your loneliness. Don't go to God when you have your act together. Go to God when you don't. And ask God, fill me. Fill my insatiable desire. And you know what? God will. But Jesus says, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden. And I will give you rest. Come empty and live filled. That brings me to my final point. We still live in this world. How do we live on the other side of lust? If Jesus is enough, how do we cherish and protect the one who can meet all of our needs? Many of you remember the Hurricane Katrina in 2005 that did devastating damage to New Orleans, one of the worst natural disasters in American history. But the reality is that some of it was not a natural disaster at all, but rather human negligence. The Army Corps of Engineers was in charge of the levees, the walls used to protect against storms. And there was a shipping channel that was going into the city. And as the channel was widened over the decades, the walls were not raised. The Corps knew this, but never got around to fixing it. They were not vigilant, and so they were found guilty in a court of law of negligence. In his 156-page ruling, Judge Duval referred to the Corps' approach to maintaining the channel as monumental negligence. He said he was utterly convinced that the Corps' failure to shore up the channel doomed it to eventual failure. The Corps had an opportunity to take a myriad of actions to alleviate this deterioration or rehabilitate it and failed to do so, Duval said. Clearly the expression, talk is cheap, applies here. See, we have a responsibility to protect that which God has given us. Sex is a beautiful thing, 
and put in its proper channels, it is a wonderful and powerful emotion. But left to overflow the banks, it is destructive and will destroy everything in its path. And so if you have submitted to Jesus in a love relationship, you must make sure that his relationship trumps all others. Because a love relationship involves commitment. Remember when I married Leella, made the decision that she was to be my wife. In making that decision, I made decisions that I had to live differently. It's no longer going out to bars, single bars, to meet with other people. No longer eating with old female friends. Because these were dangerous situations. See, taking steps to be faithful is the essence of faithfulness. If we don't take steps, it will hurt us. And so we must build walls to protect that which we cherish. The Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 6, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. And the standard that God is calling for us to live as His bride is purity. Ephesians 5.3 says, But among you, there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. So for the next couple of minutes, I want to talk about how do we take care and nurture this relationship that we have with Jesus. The first thing we need to do is to grow in our love for Jesus. Simple enough to nurture it, to treat it as more important than anything in our life. When we look at the life of Jesus, we see the way we are supposed to behave toward God, that he was praying to God, that he was knowing and treasuring God's word, that he was constantly talking to God, looking to God, being guided by God. In the same way, God has to be first in our life, more important than our spouse, our job, our golf game, our hobbies. We have to grow in our love for Christ. You know, when you're a young baby, you have to be fed yourself. But part of maturing and growing up is learning to feed you. And so the church is a feeding station. Wherever you're at in your place with the Lord right now, you may need to be fed a lot. And that's why we have adult education. That's why we have men's Bible study. That's why we had women's Bible study. That's why we have community groups. That's why we have youth group. To help you grow. But the most important thing you need to learn is to take care of your own relationship with the Lord. And seek Him, not just because the church is helping you, because you've learned that on your own. You know, as a pastor, I'm kind of like a doctor. I'm a great guy to come to for a spiritual checkup. I don't know how to grow in Christ, but I want to. That's the kind of phone call I'm looking for. I'll answer it first ring, but I don't get it often. Seek to make your relationship with Jesus the most important thing in your life. Number two, get serious about lust. Decisions determine destinations. Intentions don't determine destinations. You can say, I intend to change, I intend to do something else, but until you make decisions in your life, nothing is going to change. 
Here's some areas that you've got to get serious. Number one, get serious with your eyes. Remember Job? A righteous man going through some hard times. And Job had the wisdom to recognize temptation might befall him. And so he was committed to honoring the Lord. And so he said in the book of Job, I have made a covenant with my eyes not to look lustfully at a woman. We are not animals driven by instinct. We're people in the image of God. And so we must protect our eyes. Jesus said the eye is the lamp of the body. And if your eye is good, your whole body will be full of good. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. So what are you looking at? Take an inventory. I'm not going to give you a list of what you should be looking at or what you shouldn't be looking at. The reality is we are all built in different ways. And one thing that someone should be looking at, another person should not. But here's a good rule for you. Would I honor my spouse if she or he were right next to me looking at what we're looking at? Second rule, would I honor the Lord if the Lord was right next to me looking at what I am looking at? We have to get serious with our eyes because we are challenged all the way around us. Number two, we've got to get serious with our feet. 2 Timothy 2.22 says, Flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. I love the story of Joseph. Remember Joseph as a servant in Potiphar's house? But Potiphar's wife took a, uh, a liking to Joseph, said he was well-built and he was handsome. And she constantly, constantly was beguiling him, come to bed with me. And one time when no one was in the house, she reached out for Joseph and grabbed him by the cloak. And you know what Joseph did? He ran. He ran out of that house. And though he paid for it by being sent to prison, he still had his integrity intact. So there's no shame in running from issues of lust. See, we get so close to it. But I'm telling you, stay as far away as possible. Because lust is like a wildfire. Once it starts, it spreads. We must get serious with our eyes. We must get serious with our feet. We must get serious with our mind. Philippians 4.8 says, Finally, dear brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. See, it's not just about what we shouldn't do. It's about what we should do. And so we have to get very intentional about what we think about. Part of that is the scriptures. Are we meditating on the Lord's word throughout the day, learning it and internalizing it? And are we seeking out the best of our culture? You know, there's a proliferation with the internet, which can be used for bad, can also be used for good, of books and music and culture. There's an explosion of options in Christian music and in Christian films. Do you know that there are seven international Christian film festivals with great movies and things that are available? We just have to go out and we have to find them. Because if we are willing to be spoon-fed by Hollywood, I can guarantee you the fare that you are going to receive. I've been working on a list. I'm going to post it uh, by tomorrow, which is going to have a list. It's going to be on our website on the front page. Look at the blog section. <clears throat> on a resource list for music 
and films and books that you can go to to help you as you make choices about your looking at. So we must get serious with our eyes, our feet, our mind, and then finally we must get serious with support. Ecclesiastes 4.10 says if one falls down, his friend can help him up. But pity the man who falls and has no one to help him up. You know, it's a dangerous thing when you live life alone, particularly on the internet. Every Wednesday, I have a, uh, something on my computer called Covenant Eyes. And every Wednesday, a report of everything I have looked at during the week is sent to a friend of mine. So he can take a look. In fact, it's the same thing, it's on my phone. Everywhere I go, it goes through this doorway. Now you may be saying to yourself, wait a second, Carlos, you're a pastor. To which I say, so? You realize how many men who are better than me who have fallen because of the issue of sexual sin. We've got to have friends that we can go to who are helping us to fight the fight. Because left alone, we will surely, in the end, fall. I conclude with this. We were made for more than cheap imitations. All lust is is worship that's gone wrong. And so, we must look through the man. We must look through the woman to the desires that we have in the deep recesses of our heart. And we must give them to Christ, because he will surely fill them. Let us take the steps to treasure that which God has given us. For when we worship people that don't deserve our hearts, it will destroy us. But if we worship God alone, we will find healing and wholeness. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the beautiful gift. You didn't give us righteousness. You didn't give us holiness. You didn't give us beauty. You didn't give us love. You gave us yourself. And in all of you are all of those things contained. Lord, we confess that we chase after silly things, little trinkets, little ornaments, cheap imitations that cannot satisfy. Lord, help us to place our desires aright, to look to you, the one who can satisfy the deepest longings of our heart. And Lord, help us to be committed to our relationship with you, to take steps to build the walls, to show our commitment to you, so that we may experience the blessings of all that you have for us in this life. We pray all of these things in Christ's name. Amen.